All right, well, if you have your Bibles with you, which hopefully you still do, turn to Philippians chapter 1 with me. Philippians chapter 1. So I know many of you have probably never heard me teach or preach before, so this is going to be, uh, going to be new, hopefully not, uh, not too surprising, and at least not in a bad way, I mean. And uh, those some, of the, some of the teens that have heard me preach pl- plenty, and I've, I've been able to teach alongside Justin and Adam for uh, almost like a year or so now, I think. Um, and uh, apart from a few teenagers, they might tell you that I'm not a long-winded preacher, so no worries there. And if there's anything that I've learned from Adam, if you guys have heard Adam Davis teach, he, uh, he knows how to stick to a time limit. So I will, uh, I will try to honor that and, uh, and honor your time just to give you a, a simple encouragement and a challenge from this, these verses here in first, first Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, I mean. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1. In these verses, it's, it's very plain to see Paul's close relationship to the people, the church here in Philippi. Um, and he's, he's giving them, you know, a welcome and telling them of his love for them. And then he shares with them a prayer. And that's the prayer that I'd like to share with you today. A prayer that he has for the church. A prayer that I have for the church and for each one of you. And we find it here in verses 9 through 11. If you'll read along with me, Paul writes here and says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more, in knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ, by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. And this very short prayer, and again, Paul has even written before this and said that he prays fervently for these believers. And here he tells them exactly what he's praying for, what he desires for them, what he imagines when he sees them again. He's hoping to to visit them once more and and say for sure, these are the things that are evident in the lives of the Philippian church. And now he already knows their love very much. In fact, he talks about it, their fellowship in the gospel and how much they've cared for him. In fact, sending Epaphroditus to him. uh, But he also recognizes the, the life that the Philippians are experiencing. That they are facing, as one of the earliest churches, they are facing persecution in their families in their towns, for their faith. For their faith in Jesus Christ, they are facing difficulty and, and uh, fighting with their friends and with their neighbors. And then in, in many ways, they were experiencing persecution that many other churches had not yet experienced. And so Paul writes to them while he's in prison, and he says, hey, this is what I've experienced. You're experiencing it now. And here is what I'm praying for you. Because I've been there, and because you will have it in your future, I want you to know that we can get through this. And here's how. It's through the strength of Christ. It's through the strength of God on our account, as we've been talking through Habakkuk. But he says this, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Paul's first prayer, his first desire for the Philippian church, is that their love would be unrestrained. That their love would be unrestrained, that your love may abound yet more and more. But he clarifies it here with these next two phrases. He says, in knowledge and in all judgment. See, Paul, having experienced so much himself, already knew that there were going to be difficulties in loving. I don't know if you guys know, but it's not easy to love everybody. It can be difficult, especially when 
these two things come, come into our lives, which we can't avoid, by the way. In knowledge, now this word knowledge is, is experiential knowledge. It's firsthand contact knowledge. Now, I don't know about you, but when you experience something that hurts you, and that brings you pain, it affects you. And when you experience that from someone else, that changes the way that you see that person. It's part of human nature. And so Paul is saying here, when you experience things that make you uncomfortable, and when you experience them at the hand of someone you thought loved you, or someone that God says you should love, I want you to love them. And I want you to love them the way that God loves them, unrestrained, unconditionally. And then he says, and in all judgment. Now this word is easily understood as, as discernment, as you know how we judge things from right and wrong. We can tell the difference between two things. And he says, and in all discernment as well, make sure your love abounds. What does he mean by that? That even as our knowledge and our understanding of right and wrong, and as our understanding in our world of right and wrong, becomes more and more prevalent as we understand it more, continue to love. And may your love abound. May it exceed expectations. That we look around our world, and I can honestly say that it's continuing to get worse and to get worse. And there's more obstacles in our way, it seems, every day, every week. There's something else that is opposing us and what we believe to be true, what we know to be true. And even though we have this knowledge, we cannot let that develop bitterness in our hearts. We can't allow it to harden us. Paul says, I want you to love. I want your love to abound. And there are two obstacles you're going to face in your life. One is the experiences that you have. And in whatever experience you have, this is, this is what God wants of you. This is what I desire for you. Because how else can we reach a world that is broken, that has turned their back on God, apart from showing them the true reality of who he is? His love for them. His desire that all men should come into repentance. That all men should know of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he sent his son to die for every single person, to give an opportunity for every person to turn to him, and whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. How else can we win over a broken world, a sinful world, apart from loving them? And these two qualifications that Paul is dealing with are the exact way that every other person in the world is going to respond. And so, how do we separate ourselves as God's holy people, his separated people, that are supposed to stand out from the world, how do we separate ourselves from a world that when they experience hurt and pain, they respond in kind? Or when they see right and wrong, or you could say right against them or wrong against them, they respond in kind. And I just think of the verse in Romans chapter 5, which is one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture, and the verse that we all know so well, but God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But very seldom do we remember the verses that precede that as well. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
What is this love that Paul desires for the Philippian church? What is the love that, that I desire for our church? Is that regardless of circumstances, regardless of experience, regardless of anything else, we would love the way that God loves, unconditionally and unrestrained. The love of the world is we love who loves us and we hate who hates us. And it hurts me every time that I see people carry the banner of no hate. We shouldn't hate people. And yet, they select the people they love. The church is not like that. God is not like that. Every person is loved by God, regardless of who they are or what they have done. That's why he commands us to pray for our government, no matter what, no matter who is in charge. That's why he tells us to pray for our enemies, to love them that despise us, to do good unto them who despitefully use us. Paul says, may your love abound yet more and more in knowledge through your experience and in discernment. The more and more evil you see in the world, don't let that break you and turn you away from the truth. There's another verse that I want to share with you that ties us into the second thing that Paul prays for. It's in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. Christ is talking about his second coming. And he says, this is one of the signs you are going to see, and you're going to know that it's coming. He says this, and because iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold. Because the iniquity of the world will abound, it will exceed expectation. The love of many will wax cold. Love will go away as sin enters in. And that's true of our world. I think it's obvious as we see more and more violence and aggression in our world, the less love is shown and the more that iniquity is permeating our society. There's less love in the world. But in our own lives, when we let sin into our lives, it affects us. When we allow sin to abound in our lives, our love dwindles down. And our commandment is to love. And so, like this, we should love unrestrained, yes, but we also must live pure. He says in verse 10, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. That first phrase confused me. That ye may approve things that are excellent. I just mean put a thumbs up on things we think are great. Like, yeah, excellent, that's awesome, good job. Not, not really. Yes, 100%. Yes, when we see good, we should exalt it and say, yes, that's a great job, well done. But when he says here, the word approve means to test. It means to take something and examine it. See what's, what's there. And what are we testing? The things that are excellent. And what it means there, which it sounds like we're just approving one thing. Like, okay, we look at the good stuff, and we test it, oh yeah, it's good. No, he means to evaluate everything. Evaluate the good and the bad with the end result of discovering what is good. And then you make a decision on what to do. So we are testing the things in our life. We are testing to find the good and the bad and then deciding to replace the bad with the good. To give you an illustration, I've been doing a lot of social media marketing recently because I've left Chick-fil-A and now I'm doing Keep Your Heart Full Time. And our, our goal for our social media, by the way, is not to advertise anything. Our, our goal is to put out discipleship 
tools. And so I do a, every Monday I record a little devotional from a verse, hopefully to encourage someone while they're scrolling on their feed and they hear a verse of scripture broken down, and we have quotations and we have encouragements. And what I, what I learned was when, when you are trying to find success in that, when you're trying to broaden your scope for our, our desire, to broaden our scope of who we can help and who we can encourage, there's, there's one technique that you should use. Once you've got you know, enough posts out there to kind of look at how everything's going on, you examine those posts. You see which ones have been successful, which ones have not been. And then your intention is to find out what's working and to do more of that. So if, if, if people are watching the videos of encouragement that I'm putting out every Monday and they don't like them, then maybe I say, all right, maybe there's a better way for me to help people. Maybe there's a better way for me to encourage them. Something that I want you to hold on to here is that I'm not evaluating the good and the bad to find the bad and beat myself up about it. I'm not examining my life to discover what I'm doing wrong and then depress myself in all the things that I, I, I fail to do. No. In fact, the, the inclination, the, the meaning within this word in the Greek is to test things for the, for the express purpose of finding out what is good. And so when you examine your life, examine the good and the bad. Don't leave anything hidden. And when you find out the good and the bad, yes, acknowledge the bad, but then use that good to motivate you and emulate that. Emulate Christ. Continue to do good. And he, and he explains this further in those next two phrases. He says that you may be sincere. The word sincere means well-examined because he knows that there's an obstacle here again. There's obstacles with loving. There's obstacles with living pure. And one obstacle, obstacle that we face is we turn to this light here that should be our, our tool of examination. And instead of being well-examined, which is the word sincere, we just examine the top. We just look at pieces. And maybe we find the good pieces, but we ignore the bad ones. We cannot live pure. Again, reminding, remembering that verse uh, of Scripture from Jesus when he says, when sin abounds, love dwindles away. We can't afford to let sin in our life and let it stay. And so when he says, be sincere, he means examine yourself and don't leave anything hidden. Don't leave anything hidden. And that's hard. Because you do see things that you don't want to see. And you do see things that probably make you feel bad. You're like, I shouldn't have done that. What was I thinking? But again, the express purpose is to get it all out in the light. The word sincere also means like bring it to light. Let everything be seen. And when you can see it all, you can then make a decision. This is good. This is bad. This is what I'm going to focus on. This is what I'm going to pursue. This is what I'm going to do. And so he says, live pure. And then he says, and live without offense till the day of Christ. Which could seem like a contradiction when we know the truth of the cross, which the cross is an offense. The cross can be a stumbling block, Christ says himself. But the word offense here means not to make others stumble, not causing to stumble. When we think about our own lives, examining our lives, the good and the bad, we see what's going on, we're examining everything. Examine the way that other people react to you. Examine the way that your actions impact other people. We can sometimes make ourselves into an island. That's another, 
another obstacle of living pure. We think that we're, we're all to ourselves. When in reality, that's not the way anyone's life is. You have a family. You have friends. We have the church here. We cannot think that we can do whatever we want and not expect other people to be impacted by that. And so he says, be without offense. Don't cause others to stumble. And I, I believe that if we are well examined, if we look at ourselves honestly, then we won't cause other people to stumble. If we look at ourselves honestly and we do that process of identifying good, acknowledging the bad, and then choosing to, to emulate Christ rather than the things that we see that are hurting ourselves and hurting others, then we won't cause others to stumble. We won't. And in doing so, we continue to love. And love being paramount. In fact, he says in Galatians, Paul writing again, he says that all the law is summed up with this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus also sums up these two commandments. He says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If we truly love, then living pure will be natural. But if we struggle to love, then maybe you need to start here. Are you living pure? Are you being sincere? Are you examining everything and not letting anything stay in the dark? If you do that, love will re-enter. And again, these are, these are attributes, these are ways for us to truly fulfill our purpose here on earth. Though God has a special purpose for each of us, he's commended all of us to share the Great Commission, to spread the gospel, to teach all nations about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot do that effectively when what people expect from us is hatred. When what people expect from Christians is bigotry, they might say, or debaters, people who are more focused on winning an argument than winning over the heart of the people on the other side. People that don't love, maybe they love the material that they're talking about, but they don't love the people that are there. Paul says, may your love abound. May your love exceed the expectation. How do we do that? By choosing to love like God, by living pure, and as the end result here in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. In doing these things, we bring glory to God. In reflecting his love to all people, regardless of who they are and what they've done to us personally even, we love the way that he loves, the way that Christ loved us, even while we were yet sinners. Enemies, he says in the following verses in Romans 5. If we love like him, we reflect his love. If we live pure, then we follow his commandment that we should be holy as our holy God is holy. And again, we reflect God's reality to those who do not know him. We bring glory to God if we love unrestrained and we live pure. There's a Bible study tip that we just recently shared on our podcast. Uh, Adam, myself, and Justin actually was there. We've, uh, we've added him into our podcast and where we discussed a variety of things, a, lot, a variety of issues of life. And uh, this last episode, we gave some tips on how to study your Bible. And I'd like to close with one of those tips. It's called, use your own words. Very simple. When you read a passage of Scripture and you're having a hard time understanding it, one of the best ways for you to understand it, to maybe even apply it to your own life, is to take those words of Scripture 
and to say it in your own vernacular. Say it the way that you would say it. We often do this with psalms. Psalms are prayers often to God. We take that prayer and we, and we say it as, a, it's a, as if it's our own prayer. And so this passage of Scripture, I, I did this. And I want to close this out. My prayer for you. My, this is my prayer for you. That your love would be extraordinary and exceed every expectation. Even as you grow in knowledge by experience, and in discernment of right and wrong. That you would prove what is good and acceptable, and that you'd separate the good from the bad. And with that knowledge, I pray you become pure and kind. Let God's purifying light make you transparent. And may you choose to help, not hurt, while following God's path for your life. And finally, that God, through this, would prune you and make you fruitful in Christ for his glory and praise. That's my prayer for our church and for each of you, that you would love unrestrained, that you would live pure, and in doing so that you would glorify God to those who do not know him. That's ultimately our calling from him, to spread the gospel. Are you doing that? Are you loving without restraint, unconditionally, the way God loves? Are you living pure, are you an open book to yourself and to God, hiding nothing, accepting the fact that you are imperfect but choosing to follow Christ? And are you glorifying God? Are you pointing others to him? Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you so much for the truths you give to us, the reminders of your love and your holiness. And Lord, I pray that we would take this prayer to heart that we would love like you love. That we would live the way you've called us to. That we would point others to you. We would share the gospel, not only with our words, but with our lives, Lord. With the way we treat those around us. We are not islands, Lord. We know this. May you continually convict us and remind us, even today, of how we can fulfill that purpose you've given to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.